0: I've said many times before, I guess as a kid, I enjoyed Christmas more than Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But as I've grown up, it's just something about Resurrection Sunday. The day seems brighter, the the trees and everything, as Isaiah said, would one day, or, or the Psalms all said, one day will clap their hands it feels like creation is just alive and they're in the mode of worshiping the king of kings and Lord of lords. It's nothing like Resurrection Sunday. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. And he starts out, the writer of Hebrews, with therefore. And the question you should always ask yourself about that therefore is, why is therefore there? You could consequently say the writer of Hebrews is drawing a conclusion here to this epistle. He's about to explain it. We've been strolling down the Hall of Faith. And like I said, when I visited Canton at the Hall of Fame football, it was really only two people I really wanted to see the bust of. And that was my favorite quarterback at the time and probably still in my top two or three, Joe Montana, and the best receiver in the world, of course, Jerry Rice. So I just stood there and looked at their bust and just reminisced how God had blessed them with such talent. I enjoyed that. And that's sort of what the writer of Hebrews has been doing. He's paraded 17 witnesses, superstars of the faith in front of us, And as we begin to ooh and ah about each one of them of how successfully they had walked on the earth, it's two qualities of all these 17 witnesses that really stands out, and it's faith and endurance. This is their common denominator that they had in order to enter this hall of faith. Verse 1 tells us, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, nephos is the Greek word, it's, it's a great mask that covers the universe. That's the cloud of witnesses. Knowing that, the writer says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily, remember that this week, easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So he's laid out in chapter 11 all of these Old Testament saints that were faithful to God, God's call upon their life. And it was under extraordinarily difficult crushing circumstances what these men and women are. They're witnesses. They're testifiers to this fact that this race that God has called us, drawn us with loving cords, he, he's called us to this Christian life that it can't be lived, this life of faith, this life of endurance. We have to stay faithful to God. This life can be lived. It can be lived in the most difficult of circumstances. And what he's doing here, he's wanting us to come under the encouraging influence of those who have run the race before us. These Hebrew believers, remember, they're dropping off from following Jesus Christ, and they're not being faithful, and they're not continuing on in their relationship with the Lord because they're coming under pressure, hupomone, to go back to their religious ceremonies and the law. They're being ostracized from their families and their businesses, But certainly to all of us, he says, let us lay aside every weight. And weights, really, they are liberties. He's saying, let us lay aside every liberty, things that we're free to do as Christians. But we can so load ourselves down with liberties. We can have, you know, all of the Playstations and the Xboxes, and we can have the TVs, and we can have all kinds of entertainments and hobbies. We have so many options in America for spending our time, but much of the rest of the world doesn't have that. We can completely waste our life in God's calling upon our life and never get bogged down in sin. I'm not speaking of sin right now, but completely wasted in liberties that have nothing to do to do with God's call upon our lives and Jesus spoke you know when he when he said be careful about the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and these things can render us unfruitful and we don't want that and so we come to the end of our life and we will say well you know I wasn't a notorious sinner in any kind of way, but I made no difference for the kingdom of God because our lives went completely to our liberties. If you know anything about me, you know I love football. And the Lord spoke to me many years ago when he saved me. He said, that's all right, you can watch some football, but don't let it slosh over to my your walk with me. Keep me the main priority. So liberties are okay, but we must be careful not to allow liberties to consume the role that God should have in our lives. And I think that's a huge thing for us as Christians in America, because there's blessings associated with that. But we have so many options here that it's vital that we stop and we look at where our time is being spent. And we look at God's call upon our life. And it's going to mean laying aside weights. Now there, once again, they can be lawful. I can make an argument for them being a part of my life, but they're holding me back from God. And we don't want that. And how God is really wanting me, wanting us to spend our life. And then he says, and the sin which so easily, remember that word, easily ensnares us. So the man or the woman of faith, they look at the things that are clearly prohibited by God, by the word of God. These things aren't open to negotiation. They don't try to work around it. It's sin. Doesn't have anything to do with my life. And we should just lay those sins aside. And then he says, looking unto Jesus. The writer now speaks of Messiah, the Joshua of the Old Testament, the Jesus of the New Testament, God himself incarnate in human flesh. Think about that. And what he does, he uses him as the supreme example to which we should look at as they run this race. Yes, it it was good to notice every witness, 17 witness that the writer of Hebrew brings in front of us. But then the supreme witness, he starts and finishes with Jesus Christ. And you know, it's interesting to me about these liberties. I like watching animal shows. And it's that's a liberty, by the way. You don't have to pray for me. I, I don't let it get into a position that I have to watch it every day. But I like watching animal shows. And I'm fascinated with lizards and owls. And the only reason I'm fascinated by them It's because they can turn their neck all the way around, and you know how they do that. I wish I could. But as humans, we can't do that. They can focus on two or three different things at a time. Don't try that. We can't. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Apostle Paul said it well when he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. As a little boy, and I still love basketball, my mom worked uh, the third shift, so she worked at night at the hospital. And when she would get home about 5.30 in the morning, this was from when I was about seven years up, old until I graduated from high school, I'd be outside at the garage shooting basketball. That's what I did. If I wasn't out there, she said, what's wrong with you? You must be sick today. That's what I would do every morning. And that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. I had one goal, and that was to be the best I could be at basketball. The Holy Spirit, I should pursue Jesus Christ with that kind of passion. If you want to train, you should train with the best. And he's he's paraded these 17 witnesses in front of us, and he said, now the best one that you should really keep your eyes on is Jesus. He says, looking unto Jesus, and it implies to turn your eyes, not in two or three different directions, stay focused on what Jesus Christ is saying and the way he's walking. And he says, the author and finisher Of our faith. What is an Arthur? An Arthur is someone who originates something. He is the Arthur, the originator of our faith. Now listen, he's the one that's paid the price for us to enter the race. His blood, his death on the cross, his resurrection seal that. He calls us, listen to what I'm saying, he calls us to enter. The race. He's paid the fee for us to run this marathon. He's the one that did it with his own blood. He's the one that's paid the price for us to be in the race. And as hard as the race might ever be, there's something much harder than the race, and something much harder than obeying the Lord, and that is disobeying the Lord in this world. And so he paid the entrance fee. For us to get into the race, that's his call. Nobody will enter this race unless he draws us, unless he calls them. He's not only the author of our faith, he's the finisher of our faith. He's the coach that comes alongside us all the way during our race. And he's the one that's going to make sure, make sure that we finish He's the one that begins something in us and makes sure that he brings it to completion. And you know, if you ask me the greatest coach in football, I would have to say Nick Saban. No cheers. Some of you guys would say uh, Bill Belichick, and I can understand that. But mine is Nick Saban. That's what Jesus, not only does he do it, the Holy Spirit inside of us is coaching. You can. You can do this. You can run this race. And you know, sometimes you still get discouraged. Sometimes you still make a move and get wiped out down here. Because we live in a fallen world. The competition is strict, it's tough. And he comes along, he always encourages us to keep going, putting one foot in front of the other. Whether you have a sickness, whether things aren't going well in your life now, you can hear a still small voice saying, You can do this. You're able to do it. I'm going to give you the grace to bear up under this burden that you might be going through. And then he begins to give us an example. You've looked at all these 17 witnesses. Now I want you to fix your eyes. He didn't say fix your eyes on all 17. They were good, got you going, got you encouraged. But now he says, fix your eyes on this one right here though. For who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. I love that passage. The joy was the full divine beatitude of his reincarnate life in the bosom, as John says, in the bosom of the Father. The glory which he had with God before the world was. He exchanged all of that to accept the cross and the shame. Jesus' faith appears in his renouncing all of this joy already in possession of in exchange for shame and death. That's what he did. Talk about the fact that he endured. They were lacking endurance. Are you lacking endurance this morning? And he stops them and he says, now you just think about this for a minute. You've got it hard being faithful to the Lord and you think you've got it hard doing what you're doing here. But take a look at what Jesus endured. He endured the cross. All of these 17 witnesses, and we're thankful for them, but he is the great witness, paying the ultimate price in order to be faithful to the will of the Father. Wow. They all did, with many of them losing their life, but that's not what makes Jesus distinct from them these other 17 witnesses. It's that Jesus was, and we know it's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. We're all called to die unless the rapture happens. He was faithful to the race that God called him to, Jesus was. And it says, and he endured the cross and despising the shame, regarded it with contempt, distaste, disgust. If my wife puts a plate of any kind of seafood in in front of me, it's disgust to me. I don't like seafood. I don't care what kind it is. Uh, Tuna salad. Who could eat tuna salad? (laughs) Many of us can, but I just don't like it. That That begins to tell me the disgust that it took Jesus Christ to do to willingly go to the cross. It had to be something making him, willing him, that he could see, even though he was disgusted at it, that he would do. You know, I always think about this at communion time. When I think about the cross and I think about the shame he felt on that cross. He wasn't ashamed for us. He gladly went for us. He gladly obeyed the Father. But here you have the creator of heaven and the earth. And one day we're going to be in heaven. And one day we're going to see him and his majesty. And we're going to see him in the way that heaven views him, in an unadulterated way, not through a glass darkly anymore, but We're going to see him face to face, and we're going to be amazed that he was willing to be stripped down and spat upon, then to allow his body to be bloodied, a covered mess, and to be made a spectacle before the entire world in order to save us. And they're going to bring up shame that they're being Shame, because they're following Jesus. They feel like they are anyway in order to stay faithful to the Lord. And he just reminds them, the writer of Hebrews says, let's keep this in the right perspective here. You might be going through some things, but you don't begin to go through what this guy here went through. I'll tell you about the son of God on a cross for your sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, I love this. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set him aside. Put a fence around him. Do not ever start comparing him through, to someone else or, or the trials. And I don't speak belittling of trials down here because, because trials are tough. But what he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fears, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evil doers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good, Victor, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit and becoming sin. Notice that, and becoming sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we need to look to Jesus Christ, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And after he did that, the scripture said he sat down and remained seated. He's seated today, never has to rise again, even though if you think about the book of Acts, when Stephen was martyred, it says he stood up. I wonder does he ever stand up for me when I finally do something right? <laughs> But he stood up. He need never arise and repeat his work on the cross for sinners again. It's a finished work. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God. His work is completely finished. So here he was faithful, Jesus was, to what God had called him to. And now he's completed what the Father has given him. The doorway to heaven is open at the end of his faithfulness. It says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Warren Risby, this is what he said. He says, for the child of God, heaven isn't just a destination. It's a motivation. And that's what you see in these witnesses here. And that's what you see in Jesus. And that's what the scripture is trying to produce in all of our lives, it's not just a destination for us, not just someplace we're going to be someday, but it should be a motivation for how we live today and the decision that we make in our lives today. And so having been faithful to the father's calling, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says, for consider him, consider That's an interesting word in the Greek. It kind of has the idea of putting something in the balance. You're weighing out something. He's saying, consider Christ. And if we really consider him, Christ in my right hand, it would be down here. And everything that's tough for us, we're tempted by, we're frustrated with, That scale should never balance, not if we're truly considering Christ. That's what the writer is saying. It means to compare or to weigh in the balance. I'll read it. For weigh him, weigh Jesus Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul's, Think about Jesus when you're going through tough times. That's what the writer is basically saying. When you're going through tough times and, 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 and hand is holding your head and you're just distressed, the writer says, think about the one who all the sin of the world was poured on him. Your inner man needs to think about that. You feel like giving up this morning, throwing your hands up? Remember Jesus. When you're run down, when you're frazzled, when you're tired of going through the same thing, your health and all those things and bills that's getting piled on you. You look at the gas prices, it's what now three twenty seven? It seems like that happened overnight, but I won't start that. That's that's minute. That's that's little. I'm talking about real stuff. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember, he went through it. Remember Jesus. Remember him this morning. Remember him when we go home. If you're fainting, if you're struggling, remember him because my Bible tells me he draws close to the brokenhearted, to the weary to the distressed. He's always there in the believer's life when we're going through things. Verse 4, and then he kind of reprimands them a little bit. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Most of us probably will never die a martyr's death. But once again, I don't take it lightly, the pressure and the weight of sin on this earth. I'd rather be raptured any day of the week than martyred. I'll just tell you, I'm a chicken. uh, uh, That's not for me. It's my philosophy on the Christian life. If I am martyred, I wish they'll do it quickly. I could see the guillotine. That's pretty quick. I could handle that. But wonder if they throw me in the ocean and there's a bunch of sharks. Oh, that's slow death. So, Lord, if I have to suffer, make it quick. But what the writer's going to say to us here is that we may not all be martyrs, but we will all be chastened down here. That's what he's going to move into here. Verse 5, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. We probably immediately have the idea of punishment, but God isn't like that. It's not punitive. The word chastening here in the Hebrew, he makes reference to the Old Testament. It means discipline. God doesn't punish anyway. He disciplines. It means to discipline, to guide, and to instruct, to educate. When the Hebrew word, when it speaks of Hebrew fathers chastening their children, it was everything necessary for proper education. And what he's going to say here is, look, Christ strove to the point of shedding his own blood, striving against sin. Just remember that. But you and I, we may not do that, but we we will be chasing down here. God will deal with us. And in the running of our Christian race, there's going to be times that are very difficult here. There's going to be times when we question, and he's going to go on to say, but in all of that, God is, in the final analysis, looking out for our best. That's the God we serve. And certainly that is why we have to run this race by faith. Because sometimes, at least for me, it doesn't seem like he's looking out for my best. He says, "Verse, latter part of verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. It says not to faint when his chastening hand comes upon us, And notice he says, my son, but of course, daughters, they're in this thing too. They mess up too, so they get rebuked also. And you know, I'm thankful that he does that when we are rebuked of him. I don't always like being rebuked by humans. I'll get that out of the way right now. I sometimes, and I have a way of doing this in the pulpit, I say lots of things from the pulpit, I guess, but it seems I always, no matter how I try not to, I offend somebody. And sometimes I apologize. I say, I'm sorry sometimes. And I say, you know, I obviously misspoke. I didn't mean what you thought I meant. All of a sudden, I hear that I'm speaking heresy up here. I fear God too much to ever do that. But I don't always appreciate when it's a human being doing that to me. But it says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked of him. And the Lord does that, does it to my heart. Doesn't he do that to yours also? There are times when all of a sudden we realize, wow, Lord, I got things out of perspective. I lost track. I haven't been a good steward or haven't been demonstrating agape love. I haven't been watching my mouth or my attitude. And there's a rebuke by the Holy Spirit. The Lord can do that. And that's part of his guidance. That's part of his instructions. That's part of his discipline. But he says, don't think when he does that, it happens because he still loves us. The book is telling us that he speaks, that he stoops down in my life, that he would care that much, and he rebukes us at times. We need it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. He is chastening and scourging, and that's whipping, by the way. The idea is he receives and cherishes it. So obviously, he's not whipping us physically. But the idea is this. The idea of chastening, he's instructing us. He's rebuking us. He's guiding and he's discourages us sometimes. He puts us in situations that's very uncomfortable to take us out of our comfort zone, to make us look up, to make us get on our knees. And it's not punitive. The father punished Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to punish us. And he doesn't. He disciplines us, though. And he's very good at it. He disciplines us for our sin. But he does instruct us. And he does deal with us. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. We're not finished. He is. The payment of sin, the payment for redemption is finished. We're not. We're being conformed to his image and likeness as a son day by day. That's why troubles come sometimes. He's stirring in that pot until he looks down and he sees his face. He doesn't want to see my face. He stirs a little bit more. He adds a little bit more fire to the pot. Trials and tribulations where I begin to say, okay, Lord, not my will. Your will be done until he sees his face. He's working in our lives. Don't faint. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't make little of it. He says in the latter part of verse six, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And that's plural. It means all of us. So welcome to the club. You can't sit there and think, I never get chastened. I know you're lying. Yeah, you do. Because the Bible says you do. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? When we are chasing, it's evidence that you're a son. What parent doesn't deal with their child that they love? There's a principle and a question here. By the way, you parents, please, if you love your child, deal with them if you love them. There are 12 or 13 verses in Proverbs that talk about disciplining your child. Out of the 13 verses, 12 of them says to us, use the rod. Now, you can take that for what you want to think. Proverbs 12 says this, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. I'm proof of that. (laughs) I had mom and dad that used rod, Barber strap, everything. And I'm not justifying that. But what I am saying, when my dad asked me to do something, he didn't have to ask me twice. When my mom asked me to do something, she didn't have to ask me twice. Not because I was fearful of this, but one thing about them, every time I got a whipping. I, I You know what? And my wife told me not to say this. I never, I never got whipped with a, a ruler. I wish I would have, or one of those bolo paddles. I, I may have got those at school, but at home, my mom and dad were the type. Especially my mom. My dad had to temper himself because he could hurt me. But especially my mom. The thing that was closest to her, I usually got a beat down with. But you know what she would always do? My dad would always do it too. They would always put their arms around me and said, boy, I love you. But you're gonna mind, you're gonna behave down here. Because if I don't train you right and you think you can live and do what you want to, in my house, when you get out there, they've got something for you. They're not gonna tell you once and twice. They've got something for you. And when they would love on me, I never was. My dad's gone. He's in heaven now. It was an honor. It was a pleasure that when my dad got pancreatic added cancer, I'd have to bathe him. I'd have to clean him. I'd have to do all that. And he said, "Boy, I, I, I wish you you wouldn't have to do this." And I told my dad, "I said it's an honor for me to do this for you. If Doug was here, he'd be helping too." Don't ever think it takes just me to suck it up and do it, daddy, I love you. And that's what whipping's at all because he would always say, I love you. But you're gonna have to behave, you're gonna have to mind because that world does not love you. And they taught me very well. Not asking you to kill your child, beat your child. I don't think the Lord is too. But discipline your children. It will go well with them. If you endure chastening, if we bend under it, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And he he turns the lens of the camera. If you didn't understand that, that's what he's saying, really. You will understand this next line. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You're fatherless, you're illegal offspring, or you don't belong to the family of God. So if you get busted good, you're busted. God is chastening you. I hope you notice that since you've been saved, you don't get away with anything. You know, before you got saved, before I got saved, I'd get away with stuff left and right. But now that I'm saved, you just don't get away with much. The, and it's because the Lord Jesus loves us. Somebody always sees you because we're God's kids now. And because he loves us, we don't get away with anything. And that's a blessing, really. Everybody else might get away with it. But he loves you and you ain't. He's seen The writer of Hebrews is saying that's good news. You know, God's dealing with it. Consider all these people who ran this race before us. We're going to run with endurance the race. We keep our eyes on Jesus and remember that he endured how he suffered at the hands of sinners. We're not yet going to point got to the point of shedding our blood yet, but we're all going to be dealt with God. And when we run, we shouldn't get discouraged. No need of getting discouraged. We shouldn't faint. When God takes us to task, oh, it's too hard. I'm going to give up. I can't handle it anymore. But the Holy Spirit comes and he says, I love you. And that's why the chastening has come, because I want you to walk upright. I want you to make it to heaven. I want you to have a reward when you get there. And people are watching, and people are looking. And we have to remember all of that as we walk. And, you know, I I really had to learn as I grew in Christ, when he says he chastens his sons, all of his sons, I'm thinking, well, Lord, if you love me, because that's what I used to tell my mom and dad, if you love me, I wouldn't be getting this whipping right now. And don't I don't want to hear it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you because I think that's a lie. <laughs> I wouldn't tell them that, but that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, but it's going to hurt me. Well, if it hurts me, if it's going to hurt you that bad, let me slide this time. I'm going to tell you a quick story real quick. I had, I, like I said, my mom and dad, I've heard them say that. And I was reading, I can't, I don't remember the name of the Christian book, but it was with Anthony. Anthony was probably about 11, maybe 9 or 10. And I said, Anthony, you shouldn't have did that. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what Jesus Christ did for us. I said, now, you deserve this whipping you're about to get. But you know what I'm going to do, Anthony? And we're sitting on his bed. I never get bunk bed. We're sitting on this bed. I said, I'm going to let you whip me instead. And his eyes got that big. (laughs) He said, really, daddy? I said, yeah, I'm going to let you. And guess what? He did. After he hit me about two or three times, I said, that's enough. I've learned. (laughs) But I was showing him that somebody's got to pay the price. And we laugh about it all the time. He said, yeah, I I did it, dad. Now I think I shouldn't have did it, but I did it. I was just a kid. Jesus paid the price for us, you guys, so we don't have to go through it. And when we start speaking of earthly fathers, believe me, I was blessed to have a very good dad, but I know a lot of people didn't have a good dad. Punched them, got drunk, did all those other things, come home. A lot of people didn't have a good dad. So when you begin to compare your heavenly dad with your earthly dad, the writer of Hebrews by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to separate as earthly fathers, but then it's going to say he differs than any earthly father God does. He does that in verse 9. Furthermore, we had we have had human fathers. Now, he's going to contrast that in the end of the verse with fathers of the spirits who corrected us, and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, and here's the contrast, indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them. Here's the contrast. But he for our profit, but the Father does it for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, They chastened us according to their pleasure, our earthly dads. And his weapon of choice was a strap, by the way. My mom, once again, would beat us with anything. It didn't matter to her. But when my dad had to do that, he was consistent. It was far and few in between, but it was memorial. My mom was fast to whip us with anything. It wouldn't last long. The problem is, We're all human. You have these rules, but you're imperfect too. That we're all members of that support group. We're all adult children of sinning parents. And there were just times, you know, when the kids would be acting up, Lydia's saying, you've got to do something about it. And before I'd know it, I'd go in with a a belt and I would whip them calm them down and all that stuff, and somebody gets it. But it says here, our earthly fathers chasing us sometimes for their own pleasure, for their well-being, for their peace and quiet. God never does that. God never loses his cool. He has a righteous anger. He knows the exact Pressure to apply, and when it's applied, it's enough. He doesn't go overboard. He doesn't get extreme. He he gives the right amount of pressure to get the job done. And when it's that there, hands off. He's a good God. For they indeed, for a few days, chasing us as seemed best for them. But he, God, for our profit, That we may be partakers, this is why, of his holiness. That's the goal. But it says, he, in contrast, really does chasten us for our profit. He's working in us, doing things for us, that we become more and more like Jesus Christ, that we may be partakers of his holiness. That's good. That's instructions, that's guidance. And that's sometimes discipline that he brings to our life. And it comes in different forms. And it's hard to categorize. But he allows those things, it says, for our profit, for our well-being. He's the one who is and who was and who is to come. And knowing that about God, he knows how much pressure to apply to our lives because he's already, already looking down the pipe. If I don't get this boy straightened out and give him some discipline here, he's going to mess up down the road. And I don't want him to defame my name. I don't want him to shrink back and go the other way. So i got to have the amount of pressure that will show him, no, you're going the wrong way. Listen to me. But while I'm applying the pressure, I've got to get him to understand it's not because I don't love you. I'm doing this because I love you. And there's going to be a result, a return on the results that you're going to be happy with in the end. That's the God we serve. He he never does things out of frustration, out of I'm just fed up, I'm just exasperated. No, he has an even hand hand, and he knows how much pressure to apply in our lives to straighten us up, not like our earthly fathers. He does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, and look how honest God is. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. He understands, nevertheless, It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. (laughs) Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you have a kid that enjoys being whipped and spanked, you need to take him to the doctor real quick, psychiatrist real quick. Nobody should enjoy that. For the majority of us, we didn't like it. Nobody enjoys punishment. But God does it because he wants it to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That word train is exercise. You get the word gymnasium from it. You're working. He's working you out to get you to walk right and do correctly so you won't fall in a pitfall Five years later, I've got to train you. I've got to work you out that you will know where the pitfall is and you can walk around it. That's why he applies pressure and discipline to our lives. And he says again, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to to those who have been trained by it. At some point, we can look back after it's all said and done and says, Lord, thank you for disciplining me. I did not like it at the time, but now I understand why. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. You know when and you know how much pressure to put in my life, And all the time you're spanking me. I know even in this, you love me and it's for my benefit. No earthly father can do that, no matter how good we are. But God does it perfectly. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. And here's an exhortation to all of us and the feeble knees. God dealt with Abraham. God dealt with Moses. God dealt with Joshua. God dealt with Rahab. And it worked out for their best. He does it because he loves us. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. When we get discouraged and we don't feel like going on, and maybe you feel like that this morning, and then he says, and the feeble knees, just tired and disheartened, life is just weighing down on you. Don't give up. Verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. What he's saying, your feet, you're walking in the wrong path. And I've got to straighten them out, and it's gonna hurt. But if I keep, if you keep walking in this wrong path, you're gonna end up in a place you don't wanna be. So if I have to break them and set them properly, I will do it in love. I used to see those pictures on the wall all the time. Now, I hope this is true. I've read that it was true. And I didn't read it on TikTok, so I've got a pretty good chance that it is true. Uh, When that shepherd would be carrying that little sheep, that little baby sheep, and I read a passage that uh, that was a bad little sheep because he was always disobedient, going off in places he shouldn't have went. And so a caring and an enduring shepherd would finally break a leg, can walk, and carry that sheep on his shoulder until he was healed. And they said when he put the sheep down, he would always stay close to his side. That's amazing to me. God loves us. And when he brings his hand of discipline down in our lives, it's because he loves us. The worship team can come up. He will... Never put more on us than we can bear. And that comes from the discipline also. Because his goal is to make us like Jesus. When I told you guys from the beginning how I used to work out, train to play basketball, it's it's still a benefit. Now, I'm going to brag on myself a little bit now so you can disregard it. It's still a benefit. Because at 64 years of, about to be 64 years of age, a young kid still has to, he has to play to beat me. And you know, it it, it just comes back to all the training I did. I was stupid for basketball. I was stupid. I mean, when I tell you I got up at 5.30 in the morning that was when the Rocky movie had just came out, eating the eggs, running and all that. I was doing all those things. I was crazy. I was crazy, I admit it. I, was, can you, I could even drink an egg now. I was drinking two or three eggs, raw eggs. I mean, come on, boy, I could grow up. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, because I had a love for basketball, and I thought I would always love basketball. And then... I heard the call of Jesus Christ. And I laid basketball down and I just started reading. And his water of redemption just ran all over me. And like I told you guys before, I'd read it from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. Always have read it like that. And I said, man, I could do this. And God is so kind. He allows me to. And I don't take it for granted. And the only reason I'm telling you this, that's how he wants us to strive to know him. It's some things that's in here, and you might read over and over it again, and you will never get it. You will never understand it until you're in a quiet room, sitting down, meditating with the Lord, just enjoying his company. And then he'll just flood, flood you with his spirit. And then oh, that's what you were talking about. He talks, he speaks. If we take time to listen to him, he wants to be in every part of our lives because he's conformed us into the image of his dear son. And believe me, that's what it takes. Hard times are coming. Hard times are coming. We should be like the men of Issachar. We should be training ourselves up right now in the word of God so that we won't shrink back when they hit home. That's not prophesying. You can say it's prophesying, but that's what the Word tells you. Read the Word. It's coming. And if you know anything about any kind of sports, you've ever been in any kind of sport, it's too late to train on the day of the game if you haven't been training. (laughs) You you might as well go out and get ready to get your head knocked off (laughs) in football. (laughs) You don't want to waver in this walk with the Lord. We've got to be geared up. We've got to be like Nehemiah when the boys were building the wall. Had their spear in one hand and the trowel in the other, working and watching, working and watching. That's what it's called for the walk with the Lord, you guys. Anything else might might not make you might not make it. Let's pray, Father. I'm so thankful that you are a loving God. I'm so thankful that you are compassionate god that you know exactly what it takes to get us back on track it was your son who said a, a bruised reed you would not snuff out or smoking flax you would not put out lord you're a compassionate god and once again, it's not your will that anyone should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. People, Easter Resurrection Sunday is coming, and people, they've got to know the truth. You can get up here and you can preach love, love, love every Sunday and love people right into the pit of hell. But I heard a pastor say, you've got to, to give them the bad news before they would ever listen to you about the good news. And the bad news are we are, we are all sinners. And we all deserve hell. But God in his mercy, in his grace, and in his love sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, down here who lived a perfect life and opened the gates of heaven for us. And all it takes is believing faith and endurance to run this Christian race. And the endurance, really, I'm getting a little long-winded, but the endurance is really like that e-bike I have. Man, I ride and ride and ride for hours. And it seems like I'm not getting any exercise. It seems like, man, this is just, I'm not doing really the work. That's the way the Holy Spirit will carry us into his kingdom if we allow him to, if we yield to the Holy Spirit to have his way in good times and in bad. Lord, that's my prayer for everyone here, that they would call on the Holy Spirit to do what I can't do, they can't do, we can't do. Only the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope and glory, can give us the cruising power to get to heaven. Lord, I pray for people who are hurting, who are sick, that you would show yourself strong in their lives, that we would... Constantly be in your word, constantly yielding to your word, that we will be trees of righteousness planted by the Lord. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.